what we're seeing today is that basically almost all companies in the world will have to report ESG KPIs. So finally paid off. I think being resilient and being patient and trying to stay as long as you can is always a good thing too, as long as it is technically possible. Welcome to Wagon Live. Our guest today is Patrick Ellie, co-founder and CEO of Metrio, a certified B Corp that helps businesses manage their ESG with sustainability reporting software. Patrick's expertise lies in management, sustainability and data strategy, marketing, and business development. Over the past decade, he and his team have planned and built sustainable business ventures for clients like Air Canada, Aldo Shoes, Cascades, RBC, and Target. In our conversation, Patrick tells us about what it's like bootstrapping a company with a longtime friend and doing something that you really believe in, even if you're a few years ahead of the curve. Um, I'm Patrick Ely. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Metrio. Um, Metrio has been existing now for uh, close to 12 years, so we've been around for quite a while. Uh, my job at Metrio being the CEO is doing pretty much a lot of things uh, in a growing company. So we are 40 employees at Metrio. So talking to clients, uh, making sure that uh, finances are good, um, working with employees, obviously, um, and pretty much everything in between. So it's a very complete work that I share with my co-founder, Pierre-Alexandre, obviously, um, and with all the team. So really lucky to be working with them. Um, and so Metrio... Uh, I can tell you a little bit more about what we do. We help clients better manage their data and ESG. So ESG is the environment, social and governance aspects of companies becoming much more important. It has been important for quite a few years, but it's really um, getting more and more important for, we think, really good reasons, obviously. Uh, and companies usually don't have any tools to manage this data. So we come in, uh, as I was explaining to you, all it's a little bit like accounting right so when you do accounting we used to do it on paper now we have tools so it's the same thing it's extra financial accounting that is being done within material so in a nutshell that is what we do obviously more details as we go through that yeah so we're accounting but i think some of us are not really sure what esg is in general could you help us understand what kind of data you're collecting and how it's how it's helping the companies you're working with for sure. And we used to call it, we being everybody used to call it sustainability a few years ago. Uh, for a while, it was even CSR, so uh, corporate social responsibility, basically what companies can do to be better corporate citizens. Uh, we kind of all agree right now on ESG, environment, social governance. Uh, it's really all the information linked to you know, the company itself. So it's internal, external information. So obviously the environmental part is probably the most important or the most um, where we put, or everybody puts more energy. So it's going to be GHG emissions, for example. So how much does the company emit through different scopes? Uh, Social might be more about uh, communities and around uh, the company itself. Governance will be general governance of the company. So all these points will go from to the environment to uh, diversity, gender balance, um, I mean, we've done up until today over 8,000 different KPIs or indicators. Um, they're all variation on a similar team, but it can be very varied, uh, mostly when we talk or work with companies that come from different business sectors too. So working with retailers or airline companies or banks, obviously they will have different uh, takes uh, on all those KPIs. And how did this vision start 
you know, this seems like a really grand scale. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah. Um, way, way back, uh, Pierre Alexandre and myself, so my co-founder and myself, wanted to do something different. We thought about sustainable capitalism. It's a big word, a big idea. We didn't know how to you know, do that, but that's something that we had through discussion. So we've been in business together for 12 years, by the way, but friends for 20. So uh, we had eight years to think about Mitrio, if you want. We had other projects, other things that we looked at, but this one came in actually when the father of Pierre Alexandre had a, a very basic program to manage data for municipalities regarding waste management, which is also obviously part of ESG. Um, and we thought there was something there and that municipalities could be uh, potential clients. We already knew that you know, companies eventually could become clients, but that was in 2007, 2008, after the last or one of the last crises that we had. So companies were not there yet, but we thought maybe municipalities would be a good place to start. Um, so we began there. So a lot of talks, a lot of discussions inspired by all sorts of things, uh, even the election at that time, uh, the Obama election that had just happened. So we said, hey, maybe it's the time to do it. Uh, so we did it. That's wild. Okay, I have two questions. But first, I wonder, how, did you learn entrepreneurship or, you know, out of this friendship, how did you come up with the skills to actually bring your dreams to life? I'm learning entrepreneurship every day, still okay. again today and yesterday and probably tomorrow, I'm pretty sure. So I think it's something that you learn uh, forever. So uh, obviously I went to school, I did a few classes, I did an MBA, um, that helps, but there's, I mean, there's some things that you can learn in books. There's other things that you'll never learn in books and you have to mm -hmm. try out for yourself. So, um, so it's really a process. And I think entrepreneurship is really just every day coming in um, and trying yeah. to do your best and trying to take more good decisions than bad decisions. And uh, yeah, so that was the way I've learned it anyway. Awesome. And I imagine working so closely with a friend could be challenging at some points. Like how has your relationship with your longtime friend transformed and how has that aided or caused anything? Uh, yeah, a lot of luck. I mean, it's like a couple, right? We're like an old couple <laughs> in business. Uh, we have our own lives outside of business and our own kids and everything else. But um, it's like a couple. It, it takes some luck, but it, it it's a lot of work. We think we complement each other. We like to say that both of us together make it a decent brain together. Uh, but we need to be two. That's great. We understood that really early. Uh, but it is uh, a very good thing because there's good days and bad days when you own, you own and manage your company. We have had for the last 12 years the luck of being always complementary. So if I'm down and tired, he's going to be top shape and vice versa. Sometimes we're both in top shape, but usually one of us is really saying, okay, now we can do this. Let's do it. And you know, that makes it a much better day. Um, and then we are able to separate the tasks. That's more and more important as we grow, obviously mm -hmm. we have, we, we know each other enough and, and each of us uh, individually to know which are our best qualities and where we, the other one would be better than us for us too. But then we also understand we have to, uh, uh, you know, surround ourselves with the best um, other teammates that we can get. So, yeah. yeah. So some luck, some work, really like a couple. It's funny, but it's a lot like it. <laughs> well, uh, you must be doing something right, right? Because we saw also that you joined the United Nations Global Compact Initiative. Yeah. 
which is a huge opportunity. And I, we'd love to hear more about how that came to be and what you needed to do to get there. Sure. Actually, this one is quite recent. So we just joined. Okay. We could have done it before, but it wasn't in our, our, our plan at that point. So this is quite recent. It wasn't too complicated, but we think it's going to be very useful. Something we did, though, two years ago was to become a certified B Corp. So B Corporation, I'm sure you've heard about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Patagonia, which I'm wearing today. For anyone who doesn't know what a B Corp yeah. is, could you explain? For sure. So it's it's a certification uh, for companies that want to become B Corp. Actually, the B is for beneficial. So you literally have to change um, your books to say that we will do everything in our power to be a beneficial company. Beneficial means a lot of things, obviously, and it's different for all types of companies, but it might mean to not pollute or pollute as less as possible, to have the best gender balance within the company, to encourage diversity, and uh, it's a long list of many, many things. So okay. there are companies uh, such as Patagonia and larger companies. There's a lot of smaller companies too. And for us, it was the best certification to get. We really thought it was good. We believed in it. Uh, We also wanted to walk the talk. So we talk with a lot of companies that follow either GRI, CDP, SASB. These are all frameworks or or ratings uh, for ESG. So GRI is the Global Reporting Initiative. CDP is the Carbon Disclosure. Um, All these ones, these are for larger companies, but for a company our size, B Corp was the best one. Um, So we did believe in it. We did our research. We went through the process. It was a long process, but a very good process. We became B Corp and we're amazed at the impact. So both uh, when we uh, are talking to clients, they appreciate that. But it has also allowed us to attract a lot of new employees that said, look, we did a research. We were looking for companies that were B Corp or at something similar. We found Metrio and were interested. So that was really, really, really interesting. Obviously, um, we are hiring right now a lot of people. So anything that can make us uh, stand out is really important. But this one really from our guts. Uh, and we did it and we're happy that uh, we did it. Awesome. And so you're saying that that... Uh, certification helped you get into the UN initiative. Right? It was part of it, yeah. But then again, what we do day in day out is is part of their uh, aspects on ESG. We help companies also follow all sorts of UN uh, SDGs. So that was just a logical step for us. So it, at this point, it was just I wouldn't say easy, but it was something that we could do, and uh, that made sense. And so was that was an attainable path. Just for me, the UN seems so huge. So how did Metrio get on the UN's radar or did you oh, have the UN on your radar and you reached out? Yeah, we had it on our radar because a lot of our clients are working with the uh, the UN and the SDGs. It's not, they didn't contact us. We just applied and it's a formality and something okay. that you, I won't go into all the details, but for us, it was something logical and interesting and and we could do it. So we had the right people to do it. Awesome. Well, apart from just being uh, an important service that you're providing, what else do you feel adds to your recipe for success? Like what has helped you get so far? What's special you know, magic is Metrio giving us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Good question. Maybe we'll know that in 20 years when we look back and we'll say, okay, that was the thing. Uh, I don't think there's one thing. I think it's a multitude of things really just showing up every day. Uh, with Alex Alexander, we like to say that we will try to take more good decisions than bad decisions. Uh, one thing that we say to all our, our colleagues is 
you know, make errors. We don't mind. That's fine. Just try not to repeat them. And I think if you make an error and you're open about it and we laugh about it, then that's fine. The day after, though, we'll try to do something else or try something else and find the right solution in that sense. We've made tons of errors. We still make them every day, but we try to learn from them. So trying really to learn, um, surround yourself with the best people that you can find. That's really important. It's all about the who and then it's about the what. So get the right people and you'll find the, the, the best way to go forward. I believe in that. Um, and that's it. I think believe in what you do. If you believe in what you do, it, the rest is so much easier. So we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs in the audience. And you mentioned, you know, make errors, um, keep moving, keep a positive attitude. But what is one of the biggest mistakes or errors that you've made running your company, Metrio? And how did you face it um, uh, good question. I, I think one of the errors, once again, we did many errors. Uh, <laughs> the biggest one was at the beginning, and, and we're not the only one, but really to overestimate uh, the market and how things would change. That was okay. 200. And, and we say, somebody said it, it's an author, I think, but that we have a tendency, mostly in technology, to overestimate the short-term effects of technologies, but underestimate the the short-term, the the long-term effects of certain technology. The example, I think, is cars, right? When cars came in, we thought that after 10 years, everybody would have flying cars. It Mm -hmm. did not happen yet, as I know, uh, but we didn't predict that cars would create suburbs. And that's, you know, in technology, that's, that was the long-term effect of cars is now that you can work downtown or not these days anyway, but work downtown and drive, uh, you know, 50 minutes and live uh, far away. Um, in our view, we thought that ESG or CSR or sustainability would be adopted much more rapidly. That's how we saw things. And we thought that was going to be the case. We quickly realized that this was going to be a niche market and that was fine. And we were, we adapted to that, but perhaps we were a little bit too optimistic about that. But the only trick that we had was to survive as long enough yeah. that it would become uh, the long-term effect. And what we're seeing today is that basically almost all companies in the world will have to report ESG KPIs. So uh, mm-hmm. it finally paid off. I think being resilient and being patient and trying to stay as long as you can is always a good thing too, as long as it is technically possible. So this error seems to have come up in the early stages of the company. So how did that affect your funding possibilities or did it? We did not because we have been bootstrapped uh, pretty much up until today. So we, uh, and that need, I mean, that uh, we were inspired by a company and I'll forget the name now, obviously, which was Basecamp. Um, Basecamp was a very simple software, CRM software. And they always used to say, you know, don't try to raise 500,000 or 5 million and see what you can do with it. It's like, take whatever 50,000 or $500 that you have, see what you can do with that and learn from it and grow on that. So that was our philosophy. Uh, We were bootstrapped. We had some loans to finance, uh, tax credit, things like that, but really simple or line of credit with the bank, but very, very simple financial tools. So literally bootstrapped. Uh, no other investors, uh, you know, so that's really good. You learn, you do what you can, you don't overspend, you learn to manage money and you learn or actually have the chance to take the decisions that you want. So 
Pierre Alexandre and myself, my co-founder and myself, can take pretty much all the decisions that we can. Bad decisions, obviously, as mentioned, but usually try to have the good yeah. one. But we have that liberty. So we could keep the scope. We could, you know, keep the focus on what we wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. And that's been a good thing. But I mean, that has to have been difficult. You said no other investors, um, you know, can you help us understand what that would look like starting a business if you don't have investments? Like, were you working separate jobs and um, working on things outside of your regular schedule? Or how did you manage to... Yeah, and I won't go into all the details of the last 10 years because that would be a little bit too long. Yeah. But, uh, basically, yeah, it's, it's just trying to do what what you can with what you have, uh, sometimes longer days, sometimes other jobs, uh, when you begin at least, just to fix things. Um, and then, but it's really going quite rapidly to the clients and answering a, a real need, yeah. um, getting uh, money from your clients. That's great. The customers are there for that yeah. and do the best with that. Obviously, sacrifices. You don't pay yourself uh, huge pays at the beginning. You have to be conscious that that's going to be the case. Uh, mm-hmm. After a while, we all think it, it pays off. So uh, so that's good. But yeah, it, I mean, we think that's the best way. You can go through financing and getting investors. That's another way and a lot of success stories in those. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that was the best way for us. And we're happy about this. It's great to hear. Honestly, it's really helpful to for us to learn all the different ways that companies have started out. So I appreciate sure. it. Yeah. yeah. And, and one quick note, I mean, there is no one way to build a company. So there yeah. is typical... Anyway, that we see perhaps that VC, you know, they, they get money. If I can do one, rec- give you one recommendation, read the book called Shoe Dog um, by Phil Knight. <clears throat> Phil Knight, creator of Nike, Nike shoes. So I'm sure oh. you know or wear Nike shoes. Um, that book came out a few years ago, I think. Uh, it's called Shoe Dog, but it's so interesting to see how he suffered through so many, you know, talking with bankers and everything else, but working really hard, having a great team. And finally, at a certain point, obviously, they had the success that we know and they became public. And But he almost says that the whole fun part was before before he made money, when he was, you know, going around with bankers and loans and everything else. It's yeah. part of the fun. Obviously, there's a good outcome to this story. Um, mm-hmm. It's easier to say there, but still... The process and what he's going through is really interesting. And it's a well, well written book by himself. So it reads like a, awesome. a novel. So it's really good. Thank you for the recommendation. Also, you're you're talking a lot about the fun stuff that Phil Knight is talking about. So what's the most fun part for you working as CEO and co-founder of your own company? Yeah, I think it's uh, I don't know, working with the team, which we have been missing for the last year for all the reasons that you know, but we still get around through Zoom yeah. and however way we can. Uh, obviously, working with people. It's a lot about people. The first, I mean, when we were four employees at the beginning, we had one table all around the, the table, uh, four of us, and just talking and, you know, what should we do with this? Oh, I'm talking to the client. Okay, I'll jump in and come in. All that color collaboration, working together, sorry, uh, is really, really fun anyway for me. Um, and then it's all the small and bigger wins. So anytime that we had a new client, uh, whatever, whoever was the client, uh, that was really, really cool. And whenever we had a new feature within the tool, obviously, and uh, one of the programmers would come and, and show us what it was, we were just so happy because these were things that we 
started to dream of, then say, okay, we could do it that way. And then, okay, this is how it's going to happen. And then seeing a client using it, that was really, really interesting. Obviously, the last three years are uh, pretty amazing for us because what we had thought and saw a few years back is now becoming uh, very common, we hope, um, and mm-hmm. use by sorts of companies. So now we can talk to pretty much any company in the world and they listen and we bring in something valuable. So being part of that change, mm-hmm. as you say, we're not changing so much, but being part of that solution is really motivating for sure. Yeah, it sounds really amazing. But uh, you also mentioned how COVID has had an effect and how we're all working remotely what, in what other ways has Metro been affected by this past year? We've so when it happened last year, we said, okay, this is like a a storm. Um, our goal to, to my co-founder and myself was to keep everybody on board. So that was really the first goal, and we thought we could do it. Uh, so we told everybody, but we said to everybody, it's going to be all hands on deck. We'll need everybody's help uh, to make sure that we can go through that storm. Uh, so that was the case. Everybody came in. Everybody said, not a problem. We'll do what we can. Good news is that a year after, we doubled the team. So not only did we keep everybody, but we managed to grow quite a bit. So it's been a good adventure for us. We've been lucky, not like everybody else. Um, And clients, I mean, we didn't have a slowdown like everybody when the first months. But then um, I think for us, uh, the COVID kind of underlined that ESG was important because it's Mm -hmm. all people and how we treat the planet, of course. Uh, so that came in and that was pretty good for us. Too, so, But you're still growing, right? Despite COVID and everything, you're still looking to hire and we're wondering what considerations, what values you're looking for and the people who work with your company. Um, we call, I mean, we try to think that we have a certain culture. It's more difficult these days through screens, but it does mm-hmm. come up. Sometimes we do like, meetings with all the whole team and we feel the culture through that. So um, our first thing that we look for are people that will uh, appreciate the culture. We don't want all similar people, but we have a certain vibe, I think, which is, you know, all about being authentic, being transparent, being, you know, having fun in what we're doing, Mm -hmm. trying to be too serious and what we call the hierarchy of uh, ideas, right? It doesn't matter who says what, as long as we choose the best thing at the end of the meeting, Wherever it came from, that's fine. We'll go with this one and no no big, uh, um, uh, how do you say, so no big personality mm-hmm. problems there. Um, after that, obviously, quality of what can be done. So we, depending on all the uh, people we're looking for, having people we think will bring the best uh, knowledge um, and attitude towards our clients, towards the platform, um, and building the team that way. So yes, we are looking for people, uh, for sure. We're looking for people too, and we, we get a lot of people that believe in what we're doing, and not just us, but our clients and that said, okay, it's fun to do this and that and other things, but now this is becoming much more important. We So so we appreciate that, and we get a lot of people that come for that, so happy to, to talk to those people and explain into more details what we do and how they can have an impact. I mean, this is what we're about, trying to have a positive impact on a lot of things, which uh, which we can do. It feels like your company is doing just that. It's um calculating or measuring um, the positive impact that companies. Well, and, and yeah, and, and Metro was built on the simple sentence that we didn't create, but it's, you know, you can change, you can change what you can measure. That's, it's a simple, mm-hmm. so we're all trying to, uh, you know, help our, our clients change things. So the first thing that they have to do is to measure it. So we are there, we measure it. 
with themselves, with them, and uh, hopefully change will come down the line. So we actually do have a question already from the audience. So I'm going to jump in and say that for you. Um, on a percentage-wise, on a daily basis, how much of your technical knowledge is used compared to your entrepreneurial knowledge? And did that evolve, change over time? I have to admit something. I'm not a programmer. <laughs> so I, I did programming when I was, was very, very young, but very basic programming. I'm not a programmer. My technical skills are more used for talking with clients and understanding their needs in ESG. I know a little bit of ES about ESG, obviously, uh, but I'm not a developer or programmer. I had the chance to be surrounded by amazing developers and programmers. Um, so therefore, my most of the, my day is put into managing the company, talking with clients, understanding their needs, talking about their strategy going forward, how we can come in and help them, and learning from what they're telling us so that we can uh, evolve material according to that. So uh, I would say my best quality maybe is to be able to be a... Um, I would say a connection between uh, the platform strategy, um, you know, obviously costing and how we make a business out of that. That's perhaps, uh, yeah, what I do most of my days. And then do you find that your counterpart, um, your co-founder is also a, a little bit more technical or do you, do you split the roles in that way? No, you just, Not. you dreamt big. Okay. Yeah. We have the, um, the syndrome. How do you say the, uh, Anyway, we'll come back. I have it in French. Um, we, we we admit it. We're not developers. We're not programmers. But then again, we built a software company. But having being surrounded with great people and understanding what was the need. So I think we can interpret the mm -hmm. need of the companies and then being able to translate it and talk with people. Obviously, we can talk with developers and programmers. So we know enough of that uh, to, to do, have those discussions uh, really and making sure that they can translate that in the best platform as possible. Um, we have another question about hiring, and we're interested to know what kind of roles you look for in your company apart from programming. Um, we are half developers, and, and I say we, you know, right? I'm not a developer, but literally half developers, half ESG experts. So we are looking for sure for ESG experts or anybody who would okay. have something similar that would come in and learn. It's still a nascent business. It's not complete. It's not mature. There's a lot of work to 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 do there. And as we say, I don't like the term um, ecosystem, but the whole ESG ecosystem is growing every day right now. So a lot of people coming in in that sense. That said, we are also a growing business, uh, so we are more and more specialized people uh, in sales, in uh, what we call solutions, and obviously developers. So, um, I mean, you can look at our site, everything is there, or you can send uh, your resume. We have uh, Laura at Metrio who takes care of it now full time, and she will be happy to look at that and see whatever opportunities might be coming in. Obviously, we don't post, post all the uh, the places that we have, some of them will be coming down the line. Uh, but there's there, there's some room for sure for good people. So this actually connects to another question that I had. We talked about it a little bit before, but how does the role of consultants who specialize in ESG, how does that come into play in your company? Are they your competition from other companies? Or yeah, how does that um, 
dynamic work? Well, they're not. Um, it's uh, it, uh, once again, it's a lot like um, accountants. So there's accountants that do mm-hmm. the work. But they use the tools. We see it. Right. The same. We are not consultants. We try to provide the best sustainability software platform in the world. Uh, we want consultants to use that tool. And it can, it can be external consultants. More and more we're seeing in, uh, internal consultants within the companies. But we are working with the big consultants. We work with Deloitte. We work with NTSYS in the States. We work with all sorts of consultants everywhere that want to use Metrio. And this brings their work actually to a new level. So they don't have to do all the calculations, uh, let's say, within an Excel spreadsheet. It's all done through Metrio. They don't have to worry about data collection that's done uh, throughout the world, uh, connecting through Metrio for all the companies. So we bring in something we think much more interesting for consultants to go to a higher level if you want and start to look at change. So we brought, we bring the measurement, make the measurement much more easier. So they can focus on saying, okay, once we know that, how do we improve this plant or this store or whatever um, you know, mm-hmm. objective that the company has. But it seems like that's a very specific um, way to look at your company. You know, it's not it's not uh, competition for consultants. It's for consultants and for um, future entrepreneurs. Do you have any advice for how to frame the business that you're in or like what lenses you've tried on just to test? A great question. Difficult to answer because it's, okay. it's different per industry. Um, obviously, if you go in a much more mature industry, so if we take the classic example of Uber, um, mm-hmm. they disrupt, disrupt the taxi industry. So it, it, they knew how to do it. They had an amazing idea. They did it and that worked. In our case, it was a new industry. It still is quite, quite a nascent industry. So when we began, we actually used to do some consultancy work because we had to. It actually, it was non-existing. So clients would come and see us and say, we need something to measure, but how do you treat those numbers? How do you treat this type of KPI or ESG factor, we would have people that could do it. So we and we still sometimes do it. Um, and we did it. Now we're seeing people coming in and having that expertise coming out of schools and companies and experience that they have so they can fill that void that used to exist and that we kind of completed for a while. So it depends on the industry where you are. If you're creating or part of the industry, then you go that way. If you're disrupting, well, there's many ways to disrupt many industries. Another question we have uh, that's kind of related is, is your software adapted locally based on each country's regulations or is it more on a global scale? Good question. It is uh, on a global scale. So it's really per per place where you enter data. That's one of the advantages of Metrio and that's something that for example, did not existed. Obviously, everybody understands that if you consume electricity in Quebec compared to uh, Texas, compared to Zurich, compared to any place in the world, the GHG impact is going to be different. So your footprint will be different if it's if the electricity is done with uh, hydro or with wind and solar or with uh, coal, actually. So that's going to be different. We have that data that we take from different organizations that is available. Um, and then we can say, okay, one kilowatt produced in Quebec is going to be so many JHG uh, uh, tons and one kilowatt somewhere else will be higher or lower depending on where it is. All that is done through Metro, and we have uh, obviously clients that have offices or plants or uh, 
facilities throughout the world. So they just have to enter the data, for example, and the conversion factors will be put in and do the conversion automatically. So that's one one point. So was part of um, creating is part is that just part of ESG in general, like having a global standard, um, or is it something that Metrio is specifically? I think it's part of ESG, but we wanted to have that part of Metrio for sure. We have clients that most of our clients up until today are still large corporations. We think smaller companies will come in for sure because they will have eventually they will have to do it. Uh, until today, the large corporations have the bandwidth and the pressure either from investors or clients or employees to report ESG. So being large corporations usually means that you will be having activity throughout the world or at least on one continent completely or or two continents. So uh, this will be a factor that we have to take care of and that we've put into metric. Um, but we have a question from Francesco, which I think we've touched on a little bit, but it's a good question to ask again, is advice for people who want to start out in entrepreneurship or are looking for inspiration. Like yeah. if you have any tidbits for us, we'd love to hear it. For sure, uh, believe in what you do. You have to believe in it and make sure because it, it's long days and long, long hours and long weeks sometimes. But if you believe in what you do, that's much more easier. That's for sure. So if you don't like the end product of what you're working on, change. Do something else when, when it's still time. Um, try to do it with people with whom you like to work. I know it's all obvious, but it, at the end of the day, it is what really makes a, a difference. Uh, that said, it's long hours, but try to find a balance too, because if it's just work and no play, it's not good and you won't have fun. So find the balance. And after that, be uh, diligent about finances. Uh, that's why we bootstrap and some companies will find, uh, especially at, at the early stages, they will get financing, but then they will just learn how to spend money. You have to learn how to make money. It's, mm -hmm. it's really, really, really all about cash flow. So how can you manage your cash flow? And if not, you'll last for six months. It's going to be great, but that's going to be it. It's not going to be a long-term project. So uh, learning all about the cash flow, uh, this is important. You can get good accountants that can help you and, and teach you. You can read books. There's all sorts of way to do that, but this is really, really, really critical. It's the blood of the company. It's as simple as that. So that's really important, we think, to learn too. Mm -hmm. um, after that, it's, you know, do something that you know, that you understand too. Don't try to go in a business that, not that you just not, not love, but that, that you don't understand either. I think that's important. Um, and then in terms of cash flow, it was a good point you made earlier as well, just um, to, you know, help the specific problems that come up and that's going to help you get the money. Because if you're answering people's problems live, like that's, you know, your findings. Yeah. And that, actually that's a good point too. Um, somebody recently told me, you know, it's fun to look at, I'll come back to the flying cars, but how can we build flying cars? How can we build whatever things that don't exist? If you find a, a pain point that really exists, people, for companies, for whatever, but if you find something that doesn't work somewhere and come back to the Uber example, well, they, they thought taxis were bad. And I think that's the, the, the classic story. Same goes for Airbnb, which is... Uh, an air bed and breakfast they went to friends in the valley they didn't have any place to sleep they had an air bed so, hey, that could be a good thing you know mm -hmm. if you find a problem that you can settle people will love that and you'll make the world hopefully a little bit better at the end of your, your projects 
we are all about finding the pain here at Le Wagon. That's like yeah. they drill it into us over here. And that's all of our projects. You don't have to look very far. You live, we all live different pain points during the day, things that annoy us and whatever. So some mm-hmm. of them are just realities of life, but some of them can be settled with a good business. And yeah. uh, sometimes that's as simple as that. This is super good advice. I'm taking tons of notes. Um, but we do have some more questions. So I'm going to keep going forward um, from Chris. Okay, he says, there is a growing amount of greenwashing attached to the increase in popularity of ESG reporting. How does Metrio assist customers to avoid areas of disputable da- data and focus on areas that provide meaningful data to act on? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, very important point. And we talk about this every day. Uh, mm-hmm. There was some greenwashing. There still is. There will always mm-hmm. be greenwashing for sure. Uh, we expect that. We do um, try to avoid that at Metrio, And that's why we got to measure. So we measure things on a very scientific point. Uh, we even get auditors to come in and audit the data that has been entered. So we know who and when the data has has been entered, by whom it was approved, over-approved, and audited, just like regular accounting. Everybody will say, well, there's still crooks out there with accountings, for sure. But we have put, we as a society, have put in place since the crash in the 20s, and uh, there has been many reviews, big reviews in the 70s, to make sure that everybody does accounting a certain way. So when you compare and if you want to invest in a company uh, financially, you'll look at the company A and B, and they will have the same way to calculate data or actually financials, even if one is in Florida, the other one is in Quebec, and the third one is in BC, right? It's going to be the same accounting methods or very similar accounting methods that people can look at and compare. And it's going to be audited. If it's a public company, they have to provide data that's going to be audited. It's the same thing now for ESG. So a lot of investors, big investors, are looking at company A and company B and trying to compare apples with apples. We're not there yet. We're getting there. That's where there's frameworks like SASB and GRI and CDP. And that's why we are bringing in auditors to say, okay, is this company A doing the right stuff? This is their methodology. This is their calculations, everything else, the whole context of the data. And the same for company B. They might say, yeah, that's fine. Okay. So then we can compare the same uh, data points and the same results. If not, then Company B, for example, will have to do their homework and get this data in the right way. This is why we believe a tool such as Material is so critical. Mm-hmm. It's not just a PDF document that's provided at the end of the fiscal year, usually six months after. It's something that you can validate live and that auditors do and that companies can provide numbers live. So that, that we think, is a huge, big uh, game changer. That's great. And then branching off of the analogy of accounting, Um, There are many different accounting softwares out there. So do you feel there are many other metrios out there? And do you find, like, what is the biggest challenge of living in this time where we're we're kind of establishing that standard, right? Like, I think what you're kind of saying is we're not at the point where it's super standardized, but we're making sure it's getting there. Mm-hmm. Seven or so years ago, or even before, we didn't have any competitors and we were worried because we oh. thought, okay, so we're the only ones doing that. That's mm-hmm. not a sign, but we persisted because we thought it was important. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there are more competitors. Honestly, there aren't that many competitors yet. We are seeing 
a lot of competitors coming in. We're lucky because we have 10 years of experience uh, mm -hmm. in accounting. So we, we, we have that. We have, we believe, the best team in place. So obviously, huge advantage there too. Um, and we have a roadmap. We have plans. We have real clients uh, that have been with us for many years. So we know what they need. We know their pain points. We know their mm -hmm. future pain points because we talk to them every day. So we know what is coming up and how we can settle that. But we're happy to see a lot of players coming in and they will find their place and their way. And uh, we think that's just going to be great. And the market technically is all companies in the world. So there's room for a lot of people. <laughs> uh, but that said, we want to try to be the leader, continue to be the leader and provide the best solution as possible. And you know, that's fun too. Well, that's super impressive that you found a pain point that no one else really did for seven years <laughs> yeah, well, probably other years. Did, but everybody was there in their own little galaxy and then things became yeah. global we knew more about others uh we, we yeah. don't pretend to be the only ones but it was very very rare at this moment so and that was the reality of companies they didn't look into that mm -hmm. yet or investors didn't look into that that changed a few years in that sense do you find um with covid kind of making it difficult to get together in person, do you find it's opened up different avenues for you on a global span over the yeah. last year? It did. A funny thing, um, and what I say, it's in, in all modesty once again, but I usually start my day talking to people in Europe. Um, then around noon, it's going to be people in the uh, East Coast and through, towards the end of the day, is going to be the West Coast. So it just oh. and our possibility much more. Uh, obviously, we don't have to travel as much. We did love to travel to go to uh, conferences and meet people. It's easier that way too. So we can ju just jump on a video conference, though we're all annoyed with it. But it has some advantages that we kind of dematerialize de ourselves and can literally travel the world in a day mm -hmm. and all sorts of interesting people and all sorts of potential clients in that way too. No, that's really amazing. It's just, you know, the world we're living in is so amazing these days. Um, but there is one, there's another question from Inez. Yes. <laughs> um, considering that you're working with very different kinds of clients, what's your go-to market strategy? Do the If you have one, <laughs> uh, do the companies that you work with know about ESG metrics or do you have to educate them on the benefits of tracking them? Oh, that's cool. a, a good question. It changed a lot. People know much more these days and actually are creating whole departments um, about ESG. Uh, mm -hmm. It was different a few years back. We, did to, we used to do more education in that sense. Um, and there used to be maybe a half person responsible about ESG in large corporations. Now it's teams of sometimes 10 people or even more. So that has changed. Our go-to-market, obviously, some of it is secret, but uh, usually we go for now towards large corporations. This is really, we can see the signs. We know we have a whole list of signs of when we can say a, a company has come to a point where we believe a tool such as Metrio would be really relevant. So uh, we have all our variables on this one. So we can identify those companies. Usually, up until today, they're still large corporations. As mentioned, they have the bandwidth, they have the pressure from investors, for example, where they have to do it. We believe smaller companies will have to join in or will join in eventually. Um, but that's the, the, the biggest criteria. As you can see, perhaps on our side, though, we are not specific to one industry sector. We are very lucky uh, in that sense, working with banks, with airline companies, transportation companies, industrial companies, lawyers' office, 
everything in between. So this is really interesting because all of those companies need ESG tools. We can work with them. And we also learn from all those companies and can bring those uh, the things that we learn to other sectors because it's really agnostic in that sense. So a company mm-hmm. like Air Canada might have similar ESG um, thoughts that, a, that a, bank, a bank might have. Obviously, it's going to be different, but they will have the same challenges and uh, objectives in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like you're pretty decent at targeting your right audiences for your um, for Metrio. But this makes me wonder what your background is in terms of you know you you were interested in Metrio for a long time. Talking about it, you said for eight years with your friend, you said you had an MBA. So what, what was in between, you know, like in between getting your business studies, what kind of experiences did you pull from? Um, my, my first background is in communication. So I was in media and communication and did work in media and communication for quite a while. Uh, so that was my first background. I did my MBA after that because I wanted to have a crash course in uh, business. By the way, I mm-hmm. forgot to say that when I was doing my MBA, I had a teacher uh, mm-hmm. in we're still at HSC, who really okay. brought me to think about, uh, and that was before, I knew Pierre Alexander way before Metrio, so maybe five years before Metrio, but he brought me to think about sustainability in a business. And I actually, uh, right after my MBA, wrote a case, a uh, mm-hmm. business case, which is a way to teach in MBAs. So you, you read cases, okay. there's different outcomes to that case. Wrote a case about uh, seventh generation, which is a company that does uh, cleaning products, but without chlorine and things oh. that are, it's only things that are good for the environment. And that was in 2002, I think. I also had seen conferences at that point from Bob Willard, who's like the god in sustainability. We all respect him so much. Okay. Uh, to, I, I think that it was even before uh, the NBA. I think that was at Concordia. So, um, you know, seeing all those things really were inspiring. And through that case mm-hmm. study that I wrote with that teacher, I said, okay, maybe there's something there. And obviously things don't always happen in a day. It sometimes takes time and good timing. Mm-hmm. Too. So so my background in communication kept, you know, kept me uh, for a few jobs. And that was good and interesting. And I had fun. And by the way, we still do communication in Montreal because we have this module mm-hmm. that allows companies to not just have a good database and good KPIs, but being able to report to different mm-hmm. things. I think that's important. And certainly there's uh, some of that coming from uh, my background. Um, yeah, yeah, what be. was the teacher's name at HC? Emmanuel Rouflet. I can send okay. it out afterwards or put it in it. And I haven't talked to him for a little while, but I think he's still at Ashesi. I hope he is. And I say hi if anybody reach out. <laughs> and Ashesi and now new, obviously new school or, or other schools have full-on programs in ESG or Development Durable or sustainability, however you want to call it, or an environment, basically. So a lot of, and, and that's a great news and we, we love to see that because we need good people um, and well-trained people in that field. For sure. Um, I'm going to use this moment to let everybody know that we have 10 minutes left. So if you have any other outstanding questions, now's the time. Oh, Inez is here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the same. Uh, oh, okay. We still have time for questions. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, I wanted to ask you something, Patrick, uh, about the future where, where do you see <laughs> material going? Where do you see the company like in five, 10 years? Uh, 
I don't know. Things have been evolving so rapidly in the last two years that it's difficult to, to, to say where we will be. Hopefully, we'll be uh, relevant. Hopefully, we'll be working with way more companies that will be doing much more uh, about ESG. And to the question you had earlier on, you know, getting away from greenwashing, we think that's really important. Really having a scientific approach to this. Mm-hmm. Um, you have seen all the declaration from Justin Trudeau and Biden and everybody else saying that everybody will be uh, carbon neutral in 2030 or whatever, depending on where they, they, they set the line. That's uh, pretty optimistic. That's pretty ambitious. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Big ambitions at this moment. Uh, but to get there, we know we need tools such as Metro and way other tools, things that don't exist yet. So jump in and come in and come and help uh, what we're doing and help that that objective to become a reality so honestly i don't know and not that i don't care i care a lot but i know there's going to be a lot of projects and a lot of things i'm not worried about that day in day out these days we see new clients coming to us with all sorts of questions and things that they want to do so it's inspiring so pretty good I wonder if you mentioned that you had done a bit of consulting through Metrio, but that's not the goal. Is that something that you could branch out to offer in the future, depending on the need from your clients? Or what what do you think? Well, this is not our strategy. We are data geeks more than anything else. So we look at metrics and data and this is what we want to provide. And when you start a business and manage a business, by the way, one good recommendation is to stay focused. Day in, day out, you'll have yeah. um, some of them might be good and interesting, but most of them will be out of your focus. So you got to stick on the plan. If you have a good plan and you believe on this plan, trust the process uh, mm-hmm. and go with the plan. So uh, we chose to stick to what we do. We think that's a good thing. We know that, once again, the whole ecosystem will be built around that. Or It's coming in and there's great consultants. We like to work with them. We could not work with those consultants if there was anything that was not clear between us Mm -hmm. and them. So they know exactly where we stand. We know where they stand and we work well in that direction. I have a personal question as someone who is running their own company. Do you have any mantras or, you know, daily practices that help you keep a clear mind, that help you stay focused, like whether it be reminders um to stay on track like you suggested or just you know a certain amount of physical activity on a regular basis like for, yeah for sure going outside especially these days where we could yeah. stay stuck to our screens like for the whole day uh, but even in regular times i usually bike to the office for obvious reasons and it's not even environmental reasons it's because it's fun it's really literally fun and i do it uh 365 days a year and it's fun oh, man. those days it is fun it is also a good way to have a moment before work and after work mm-hmm. where you can just you know either think about anything else or think about what just happened and you know uh, you know, strategize those thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I jog sometimes too, if it's too snowy, sometimes it's easier to jog, but mm-hmm. that moment before and after is a good way to prepare yourself for today and to recap your day and say, okay, that was good. Perhaps we could have done something else there. That's out of focus. Uh, that was mm-hmm. cool. Just appreciate whatever happened. So that's really important. They uh, working mantras. I think don't let anything stand for too long. Answer your emails as much as you can or eliminate yes. them. Um, you know, try to settle even the small things as soon as you can because they will add up 
and this will become stressful. If you just settle whatever little things that you can as much as you can, that's a good way to do things. Thank you for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe.